Kill me Felcher. Welcome to On Crown Behind. Hello, my name is Terrence O'Donnell, and I'm here with another good story for everyone this week. This once-a-week podcast is being hosted on RSS.com and is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Intunes, Google Podcasts, Deezer, and a few others. A little about me. I'm a senior citizen activist of Irish descent and a self-professed Sean Hyde, a Gaelic storyteller. I want listeners to feel like we're sitting under the An Crombieha, which is the tree of life, typically the village oak tree, where I will read you fictional stories from writers I find in medium.com and substack.com, including some of my own stories on occasion. Some are scary, some are very thoughtful and soul-searching. Others are going to be just plain fun. This podcast is free to subscribe to for all who care to listen. I do offer the options of donations on the rss.com webpage, where this show is hosted to support my work much like passing a hat at the end of a visit to your digital village. This podcast show is for the purpose of showcasing writers from around the world who are usually not in New York Times bestseller list, but would like to be. I may be the exception to their rules. I have no desire for that kind of fame. I just hope I can entertain you with good stories that spark your imagination and they stay with you for a bit after we parted for the day. Now, my first story this week comes from Regina Clark in Medium.com. And it's a scary story, and she's got a few other offerings which I'll offer to you guys in the future. But right now, let's let me read the story to you. It's it's called Stopover. A private inge- investigator gets more than he was looking for, a lot more. Interstate 84 from East Oregon to Southern Idaho goes past more than one broken down building left over from better times, especially if you take an off ramp into the, one of the U.S. 30 alignments. Once past Idaho, I could follow that old U.S. 30 route all the way to Atlantic City, though that wasn't my plan. Still, I'm a history buff, and I like traveling on what used to be called the Lincoln Highway, the first road built cross-country from New York City to my hometown of San Francisco. About 100 miles along the interstate, I saw a sign for one of the alignments and swung off, looking for a place to eat. I wasn't in any hurry. I wasn't on anyone's timeline but my own. A diner would do just fine as a stopover for a couple hours, even if it meant I was taking a risk with its fry-up. Janie wouldn't have let me near hear the end of that if she'd been with me. Only she wasn't. Funny how you can live 20 years with someone and never know who they really are. People thought we had the perfect marriage. So did I, but my best friend proved me wrong. I couldn't figure out if I was more upset by the way they fooled me or because it made me, sh- made me the butt of a classic cliché. Jim and Janie were gone before I even knew something was up. It was a hot day, and I was tired from work. We were going to, see, we were going to go see a movie, Janie and me, catch the air conditioning for a while. I hadn't gotten around installing it in the house. Instead, I found a note on the kitchen table, empty closets and drawers, and her favorite set of china taken from the glass display we had in the dining room. The rest was mine, and good luck to me, her note said. Right. Thing was, as a private investigator, I tracked people who were missing for a living. Did they think I wouldn't go after them? Wouldn't find out they'd set up a house in Twin Falls, Idaho? Maybe that's exactly what they thought. Maybe they didn't know me any better than I knew them. So I didn't do anything for a few weeks. I knew they'd start to relax. That's what I wanted. Tracking people is an art. It has its own choreography, you might say. Being a federal agent for a few years before they threw me out helped me hone the process. 
leaving that job and forming my own business let me break into areas that had been limited before by too many rules. My license said I was legitimate, and no one had to know how I really conducted my operation or how much I charged. With my success rate, I could afford to do what I wanted. Or that used to be the case. The last thing Janie mentioned in her note before she wished me good luck was that she had taken 75% of our shared bank account. Did she really think I was going to say fine to that? These thoughts filled the spaces of that long, boring drive. But I was still hungry. The alignment hadn't offered up so much as a concession stand. It was dusk, and I was about to head back to the highway when I saw a building in the distance. Lights were on. Even if it was just somebody's house, I decided to stop and ask for directions to the nearest restaurant or whatever. It wasn't anyone's anything. It was an abandoned motel falling apart at the seams, literally. Sign claiming it also was a cafe that was a faded gray on a darker gray. The front awning sagged over two thin poles. The rest of the roof had waves in it like someone pushing it from, at it from underneath. All the windows were boarded up, plywood nailed against peeling white paint. I got out of the car and walked around to stretch my legs. A small tree crowded the side of an detached shed where the door swung off on its hinges. What looked like a baby carriage off its wheels lay on the ground along with a dozen other rusted this and that. There was an armchair facing the front door. I don't know why, but I found that amusing. That was when I noticed the cars. There were six of them on the other side of the road a few yards into the trees, all pointed in different directions. A couple were in fair, a couple were in fair condition, one of them on the newer side, but most looked as if they'd been abandoned for some time. It was almost dark, and a chill wind came up. Suddenly, I felt uneasy where I was, though for no good reason. No one else had stopped there. No one else had driven by, for that matter. Just as I was getting back in my car, I remembered the lights. I was sure I'd seen them. Against my better judgment, I had no idea how far I had to go to find a place I could sleep for the night. I got out again and walked around some more. This time, I went toward the back, expecting to see more wild grass and bushes, but instead I found the source of the lights. A huge tent was set on, on a field about a hundred yards away, and the light from inside it flickered like candles do. I could see the shadow of someone walking back and forth. I rested my hand on the pocket of my windbreaker. My gun was easier to carry there, easier to grab that way, though the permit I had to carry a concealed weapon did actually require a holster. No one was watching. You never know who or what you're going to meet up with in, an unknown, in unknown places. One time when I was sent north of Mendocino, California, back when I was working for the government, I walked close to the edge of a massive field of marijuana that had taken an hour to reach on foot, and there were guards everywhere. It was like a damn fortress, and I knew it, and I was new at the job. If it hadn't been for weight, my trainer, I'd have been seen and had maybe an instant to live. There'd have been no time to unbolt the holster and draw the gun, much less use it. I never bought it with a holster after that on solo assignments. I was always prepared, just like I was when I approached the tent. Take your hand away from the gun. What you looking for? This here's my land. Maybe you just better get off it. The voice had a twang in it, but it was calm and cold. I felt the barrel of a rifle in my back. The shadow inside the tent had stopped moving. I'm looking for directions, I said, my own voice calm in return. I never panic. I get scared sometimes, but not for long. As soon as I figure out what's happening, I get as peaceful as stone. Wait would often would say often, from a jackrabbity rookie to a stone coal avenger, that's you. Like a superhero, only always the same, no double identity. What you see is what you get. That's what I told him, and he didn't disagree. 
The thing is, you have to be careful all the same. Boundaries. Don't forget about boundaries, was all he'd answer. Right. Sometimes that idea doesn't make sense to me. Other times, like as if I'm standing in a dry grass field with a crazy tent owner, it does. Best path then is to at least pretend to go along. The man behind me could be open to a reasonable discussion, or he could be a rattler who'd spring if poked the wrong way or anyway. My bet was on the profile of the rattler. I'm hungry. I need to find a place to eat and stay for the night. Obviously, this motel isn't it. Good thinking. So just walk out of here and get in that shiny limo yarn and go. It's not a limo. It's a 2.5S Special Edition Nissan Altima. Brand new. I heard a chuckle behind me. What kind of jackass corrects somebody holding a rifle on him? I squeeze this trigger and you're dust. You're either an arrogant fool or a man on a mission. My vote is for both. The country accent was gone and in its place was a syntax and tone worthy of an NPR announcer. I started to turn around. Nah, I won't pretend to be a backwoodsman and you will go back to your car and drive away. Now, I can use this rifle if you have doubts. I'd just rather not. But I also have a mission, you see, and part of it insists no strangers allowed. I wanted to say more, and I wanted to see the face of the man who was talking, and I wanted to know who was in the tent, but the rifle was pressed into my back with more force. I decided to suspend my curiosity and started walking toward the front of the motel. Let him stay, John. For heaven's sake, the man said he was hungry. I heard a long, deep sigh. All right, whoever you are, come back to the tent. We'll do as she says. He came up beside me. I saw he had white hair but a young-looking face. He pointed the barrel of the rifle down and gestured for me to go ahead. The woman stood at the entrance, tying the flaps back. Inside, I could see a long pinewood table and chairs. A tapestry of some kind divided that from what I imagined must be a bedroom behind it. Hello, the woman said, her voice warm and silky as honey. Her hair was a dark, dark auburn and her eyes very pale in color, a light gray or blue. I couldn't be sure in that light. I'm Emma. This very rude but protective man is my husband. Please, have a seat and I'll get you something to eat. We were just going to have our own supper, and it's nice to be able to share it with someone else. I'm Alex Summers, I said. He's not staying long, Em. He's got places to go, don't you? John gave me a long look that suggested I answer in a positive, which was the truth anyway. Yes, he's right, but I'm very grateful for the food. There doesn't seem to be any place to get something on this road. There isn't, John said. That's why we're here. Get some, get some privacy. I'll, unfortunately, it doesn't always work out. So others have found you too? You might say that. He took a chair for himself, the rifle still at his side. I took the chair opposite. That's a Winchester Model 70, bold action, right? Nice. Much better than that piece you're carrying. This rifle has good aim, reliable, full magazine plus one, he added. I assumed in case I might think it was just for show. The safety's on. He gave another chuckle and patted its stock, its wood polished to a sheen. As I said, I'd rather not use it. Emma put a plate of cold roast turkey and new potatoes in front of me with a mixed salad on the side. This is wonderful, I said, trying not to inhale the food. The last time I'd eaten anything, I'd been breakfast that morning before starting for Idaho. No need to hurry with it. There's plenty more, she said. John didn't say anything. I noticed all he'd eaten was some of the turkey. The candles flickered in a breeze from the entrance. There were ten of them placed around the tent, and they gave a good feeling to the place. She seemed to read my mind. I like candlelight. It's more, much more intimate and welcoming, don't you think? I had a sudden feeling I had stepped close to the edge of quicksand, though I couldn't have said why. 
I know it was the feeling of apprehension I'd appeared, experienced near the marijuana field. And there was no way to offer advice, but I didn't need his help. Hadn't needed it for a long time. I could read John's face as if it were an alf alphabet, and I took the warning. Always worries me, given the chance of a fire, I said. Her eyes seemed to narrow for a second, and then she smiled, lighting up her whole face. In the light, her beauty seemed ethereal. So what made you take this road? You have a lot more luck on the interstate, John said. He held out his hand to take the glass of wine that Emma offered. She gave one to me, too. I held it up to the light. It was deep ruby red, and it had an appealing, smoky aftertaste when I tried it. Just chance, I said. I'd been a couple hours on the highway, and nothing showed up, and like I said, I was hungry. Yes, I believe you, John said with a brief smile. Outside, a steady chorus of tree frogs mingled with the sound of the wind in the trees. Here, I said, gesturing with my glass. You've got a really nice place to camp out. Oh, we aren't camping, Alex, Emma said, and her voice seemed to have a smoky edge like the wine. We live here. This is our home. She gave a brilliant smile. I looked at John, who was focused on his own glass, staring into it as if he expected to find some answer to a question there. When he looked up at me, I saw for a split second a man in such emotional pain, it was all I could do not to react. Then it was gone. This is our third year. It suits us, he said. Well, I guess it must, because it's pretty isolated. What about friends? I do miss having them around, Emma started to say, but John interrupted with, We don't need anyone. That's true, Emma said thoughtfully, as if she were considering new information. After all, I have my vegetable garden. You do a great job with it. If this meal is any indicator, I said. How nice of you to say that. It's hard work, but I enjoy it. And everything grows so fast. Sometimes I have trouble using it all up. John won't eat anything from my garden, which is a shame. Still, I always have enough for strangers when they come by. It isn't often, but it's nice when it happens. You're missing out, I said to John. Oh, John has his own garden on the other side of the field. He grows roses. If it weren't so late, he could show you. They take up a lot of his time, but I don't mind. They're fragile, roses, John said, but so beautiful they're worth it. Some are, I guess, I said. Some can be as hardy as desert flowers if you treat them right. I could hear my sister-in-law, Marilee, telling Janie how shrub roses would last through a Montana winter. That, that had been on her last visit out to see us. The sisters got together once a year, and I knew Janie wanted to visit Marilee the next time. It occurred to me maybe that was just what she had done, bringing Jim right along with her. Maybe they did know me, and Twin Falls was a decoy trail till they worked out a final plan. Not that it isn't a detail I expect to hear in passing, John said, watching me. I pick up a lot of information in my job. And what work do you do, exactly? I decided to be truthful. I had the feeling they both know if I wasn't. But more than that, I didn't see any reason to lie. I'm a private investigator. Just now I'm on a personal errand. Well, that explains it. A man who pays attention to detail all the time, John said. Emma gave him a quick glance, but it was more a question than any kind of objection. They had a way of talking to each other without talking at all, I decided. Maybe that's what made for a happy marriage. I'd be the last to know. I had eaten plenty, but still made room for the apple pie she laid on the table. It was cold, but tasted delicious. I noticed neither of them was eating any of it. What about you folks, I gestured to the pie. I saw them get up from the table, but their movements were so deliberate it was like watching slow motion in a movie. I guess I overstayed my welcome, I said, only the words sounded muffled to me and garbled. I stood up myself, only to fall back in my seat as a wave of tiredness seemed to overwhelm me. I hadn't slept much the night before, and it had been a long drive from Portland, where I finished my last assignment. 
Good food and a peaceful setting would put any man to sleep, but I was pretty sure having me stay over wouldn't be their idea of fun. Still, I couldn't move. I didn't want to. I never felt so relaxed in my life. Now, John, Emma's silky voice reached me, still holding that smoky undercurrent. What was her husband doing, keeping a woman like that out here in the wilderness? It was no life for her. I tried to say that, but found I couldn't get the words out. Not yet, Em. Let him be. I couldn't focus on either of them for long, but I heard John all the same. All right, I'll clean up then, I heard her disappointment. There was the clatter of dishes as she cleared the table and started washing them somewhere outside the tent. Listen to me, John bent his head close to mine. You have about five minutes to pull yourself together. The next moment, I felt a sharp sting. I'd just given you a shot of Narcan. It has its own side effects, but it will, it will counteract the opiate. The what? My heart's beating too fast. I managed to get out as some of the physical lethargy began to leave me. I said there were side effects. They'll last a while. You need to shape up and get out of here. Stand up. I felt his arms lifting me out of the chair. I didn't know how much time had passed. I could still hear the clatter of dishes, so it would, couldn't have been more than a minute or two. What the hell's going on? My body felt hot and when I stood up. I felt dizzy. The next second, an ice cube was pressed against each of, each of my eight temples. The shock of it brought me fully alert. You bastard. What did you feed me? You poisoned me. Not exactly. Now listen to me. You have to get out of here. There's not much time. I'm going to go talk to Emma. You go out after me. Walk to your car and drive away. Do you understand what I'm saying? No, I don't. Why? You don't have to know why, Alex. What you have to do is trust me, okay? That's all. You have nothing to lose if you leave now. You stay. Then I have to help her do what she does. I have no choice. I love her. She's all I have, he added. The next second, he was outside the tent, and I could hear them talking. I stumbled my way to the entrance and fell once, almost knocking over a chair. Outside, I looked over to the left. I couldn't see them, but I could see the light from the lantern she had taken with her to wherever she washed up. Shadows danced against the trees. I knew the car was to my right, but the way was pitch dark. There was no moon. With every step, the light from the tent faded, and for all I knew, I might be walking into a field where the roses were instead of out to the front of the motel. But the outline of it showed up a dark shape against the night. I leaned against the small shed to rest a moment, the branches of the small tree brushing at me. The car was clearly visible in the ambient light. When I looked for my keys, my jacket pocket had nothing in it, not even my gun. He must have taken it from me. Could I have left the keys in the tent, dropped them when I fell? But no, I felt them in my pants pocket. With relief, I went up to the car and opened the door. At the moment, I heard a wailing sound I couldn't identify at first, except that in it I heard a wrenching loss and grief and rage. Then I knew what it was. It was Emma's voice. She'd realized I was gone. It was the third shock of the night, and it brought me fully to my senses again. I was in the car and out on the road before I took my next breath. It wasn't until much later I asked myself why John did what he did. I was no one special. Maybe he'd had enough for a while. Maybe it was just lucky timing. But by then I wasn't guessing about all the cars rusting beside the trees across the road from the motel. I didn't wonder about Emma's vegetable garden. I also felt an unexpected euphoria at being alive. There's no telling what makes people tick. I can find them, but I can't find out why they're the way they are. It occurred to me maybe that's what weight meant about boundaries. Sometimes it's good to have them, to know when to stop and let go. A few miles ahead, I grabbed the interstate south to Boise, then switched to US-95. I knew I could pick up the I-80 at Winnemucca in Nevada and follow it down through Sacramento. I figured I could reach San Francisco by mid-morning. Plenty of time to think about another way to make a living. Now, that's the end of this story. And 
as it was only 20 minutes or so, I've got another short story for you, even shorter than this one. And it's one that I wrote a few months ago. Um, and it's, it's a different kind of story. It is fictional, and it's entitled The Hunter. A dark tale interwoven around ancient Gale traditions with a modern twist. I'm a hunter. My ancestors were hunters who taught me how to hunt and the traditions to go with that. My government taught me how to be a better hunter so I could hunt two-legged prey. I'm a very good hunter now with all of this teaching and experience. I no longer hunt for the government, but I do hunt for my table and I defend what is given under my care. When I hunt, I only take what I need and offer a prayer passing for the prey I take so they may travel to the summerlands to return once again. I will defend my family and clan with my life. Meet any warrior's challenge with honor on a battlefield if they truly want what I have. I will always fight with honor and hope that my opponents will do the same. After my victories, I take their heads and mount them with the rest in my place of honor to remember them as honorable foes. My challenger may be from the two-legged or four-legged clans. It matters not, but an honorable challenge to fight is granted no matter who they are. I have a place of honor to remember my foes from all the different clans and are all equal in their place on my shelf, for they fought me with honor and I prevailed. Should a foe decline an honorable fight and attack in cowardice, they die where they fall with no rights given and no prayers for passing. I leave them for the earth mother to clean up to be returned to the earth, for that, that is where we all will return someday, our mortal remains given back to the earth from whence we came. I had no use for the cowards of this world. I kill them with no mercy without a second thought. Skulking creatures of the dark who only want to take without so much as a challenge are only fit as food for the crows and deserve no honor. I hunt them with no remorse and put them down. One shot, one kill. Without them knowing I'm even there. The last sound they hear may be the sound of my rifle as it fires the bullet that ends their existence. I leave no creature to die a slow death, so I ensure they are finished in this Middle Earth and leave the remains for the creatures of the woods to enjoy the repast. All of the goddess creatures need to feed, even on the cowards who would take with little regret. Once life is gone, even for the cowards, what is left must be returned to the earth. Such is the cycle of life, and so it shall be all for all of the goddesses' creatures around the world. All things die and return to the earth eventually, even the rocks. Someday it will be my, re my turn to return to the earth, and I have no regrets. When it is my time to go, I wish it to be either an honorable death from a worthy opponent or a quiet passing in the night in my very elder days. I live an honorable life as best as I can, and I wish to be honored and kind when my time here is finished. My head in a place of honor, or a funeral bearer to be remembered by my clan. This is how I want to be remembered. An honorable hunter who provided for his people, care for the land that was given unto me by the goddess to use, but not abuse. Until the day the Morrigan comes for me, I will continue to teach my children and grandchildren to live honorable lives and be responsible with the land given under our care. I honor the gods of my ancestors every day and offer a prayer of remembrance for them and my worthy foes, Isawen. I hope I am worthy enough for every shank here to enfile to tell my story and sing their songs about me long after I'm gone. That is how I become immortal, not through some blind faith in an unseen god. My gods are with me every day. I see them in the land all around me. You only have to open your eyes and listen with your senses. Live your life with honor and courage. Let the stories become tales of wonder under the branch of the crown. For that is how you live forever. 
through the stories and the songs about you for the generations to come. So that's the end of that story, which I hope you liked. I, I said I'm not a, a practiced reader. Hopefully I'll get better at some point in the future. So I hope you enjoyed these two stories. And I'll return next week with one or two more. So they'll, they may be scary. They may be science fiction. Um, I've, I've got one picked out already that's more of a heart tugger. And you never know what, it's, what I'm going to find out there. But I'll continue to bring stories every week. And hopefully um, you'll like them and, and continue to tune in. With that, it's time for me to go. Until next time. I would like to thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed it and you'll return again for another episode of On Crombie Feel free to share this with your friends or relations. The more the merrier. Each podcast episode will be free and can be found on many different platforms now, although some may have advertisements. Unfortunately, I have no control over that. Search for On Crombie or under my name, T-O-D-O-M-H-N-I-I-L-L in your favorite app. I hope I've achieved my goal in helping you feel like we've been sitting under the tree of life together during our time. As a Shanghai, I want to continue to delight you with a story or two that may bring you a smile or make you think a little after we part for the day. As I say goodbye this week, I wish to leave you with this Irish blessing as you go about your day. May your blessings outnumber the shamrocks that grow, and may trouble avoid you wherever you go. Schlange which means goodbye for now in Irish. <laughs>